Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, a special edition of our coaching interview series as we prepare for the 2022 season. Now, normally I'm just speaking with the head coach, but I always appreciate the opportunity to speak with the entire coaching staff. That's the opportunity we have today as we are joined by a former All-American standout player, now head coach of her Tennessee Volunteers. We'll welcome her to the show. First, welcome head coach Allison Ojeda. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Alex. I appreciate you having us. Doing excellent. It is my pleasure. And, you know, again, I got the chance to go down to Knoxville for the first time. I was like all the rumors you hear, oh, SEC campuses are just better than everywhere else. It's like, oh, yeah, they are. (laughs) Like, I I figured that out very quickly. So uh, it is great to get the chance to chat with anyone associated with Tennessee, even our other guests today, associate head coach of the women's program, of course, former standout during his time at Tennessee as well, associate head coach Jared Chaplin. Welcome to to the show how are you doing today i'm good alex thank you yeah we've um we're fortunate middle of november well not quite but uh yeah we're pushing kind of 60 65 outside and sunny so we've got an indoor tournament happening at the moment and um yeah it's nice to nice to still be able to get some time outside so if it's 65 degrees outside what is it inside is it what like 60 50 like 75 is what are we talking about yeah, I mean, be, I would it, say it gets actually, warm in there. Yeah, we're probably in, inside right now. It's probably around 75, 78, something like that. That is just, and so look, 
I know Coach Woodruff's career. I know both of your careers. Could you not get him to just use, like, one of the title's prize money to invest in an AC unit? Like, I feel like, what are we doing here? I, I think I think he'd probably tell you that he didn't get paid enough back in the day. After <laughs> what, they, what they pay for them now, I mean... Uh, yeah, he he obviously had an incredible career with uh, the win in Canada and and the quarter in in Melbourne. So um, that just that's just to mention a few. We've got a we've got a new administration and an and a new AC unit, new lights is something that's on the to do list. So I anticipate it happening in the very near future. That said, because obviously I'm a softie and I walked inside looking for relief and I went to the courts and I was like, oh, yeah, like this is what everyone talks about. You realize, especially in the because I was there in early September, it was it was warm to say the least. And, you know, you both played in that environment and you guys understand. Does it provide, you know, Coach Ojeda, a a home court advantage? Just the idea like maybe you don't want to lose it because your players are ready for the heat. I feel like other teams probably aren't. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, is yes, there's definitely a home court advantage to it. But with that said, the safety and health of (laughs) every student athlete and coach and human being that's just in the building certainly comes first. So we are more prepared for it than others are, but um, but we recognize there is a safety element. So... Yeah, so we'll make sure we get some AC in there soon. That's no fun. That's the right answer, but that's no fun. I like it as it is now, and I'm curious for you, and I'll go to you uh, here, Jared. Having the Challenger this week, and obviously you guys have had pro events forever in Knoxville. What does that do for both programs, just to have exposure to this level of pro tennis, to get to have your players be around you know, this quality of action? I think it does a lot of things. Um, I think for our our own team, um, or any student-athlete current, um, it allows them to see how invested the community is in tennis. You know, something that whether it's a girl from Latvia or, or a guy from, you know, another part of the world, they, they see um, how, how enthusiastic Knoxville is about tennis. And um, they do a wonderful job here with, with the challenger and, and fan engagement. Um, and then as far as our day-to-day job, you know, we, we've got these athletes for four years. So our, our voice has become redundant at some point. So for them to be able to, you know, take take an afternoon to come and watch some of this, some of the level here. Um, and I think it becomes a little bit more believable when, when you can look at someone and say, they were just a senior last year at this school, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, they've been out on tour for this many years and they were an All-American. And, um, it starts to, you know, it doesn't feel so out of reach. Um, and there's there's certainly a lot of things that we've probably been regurgitating for, for sometimes two, three years with these girls and they can just come and watch um, some of this tennis and, and see that that might make more sense now. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And uh, I'm cur- curious for you, Coach Ojeda, because, again, you've both been around this as players, as coaches now. Is that part of selling the program to these players? And for you, it's sixth year. It's now fully player. You know, it's only people you've recruited. Is that part of the pitch you make to these schools? Is look, if you want to see what it's like to be a pro, come hang out here at Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I think on the men's side because they're the ones hosting the event, they certainly can sell it more than us. We would love to get some challengers and UTRs doing some great stuff. So we would love to get some events here on campus, and then one hundred percent, we will sell that like crazy. With that said, I mean, Jared played on tour for for a while. I played for a little bit, but it's been 20 years ago. Um, so things have changed a lot. And But, yeah, if you want to 
be a professional tennis player, it is a very different mindset to college tennis. You certainly can still reach it by going through college tennis, but you better be professional in everything that you do. And a lot of times you're, you know, you have workouts and you're headed to class and you're hustling to get to practice on time. Whereas these guys, there's a, a player who had a 10 a.m. match this morning and at 7.30 in the morning, we're finishing up practice with our team and, and he's there to start warming up. And so the professionalism is because our girls are here on site, they do get to see that side of it. And so that is very important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about that professionalism and just the culture you guys have built at Tennessee entering this season. Uh, and I, I want to look back at last year and obviously talk about some of the lineups, some of the players. But I, I believe it's seven returners you guys bring back this season. You know, how, how helpful is it for you to have a group that is very well aware? You know, you've gotten your hands on them for a couple of years now. How experienced is this group? How does that impact how you prepare in a fall? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I, it's good to hear you say that, actually, because in my mind, all fall, I keep telling chaps, man, we've got five out of our eight scholarship players are in their first or second year. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to hear you phrase it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously, we've got the COVID year. So Tanika's playing a, a fifth year here with us right now. Uh, we have two freshmen and then we have three players who are who are only just now starting their second year here. So we're quite young in terms of understanding what the culture of our program really is like. And last fall, the SEC was very fortunate to be able to compete, but we didn't get to train like we normally do. Um, So, yeah, so honestly, in my opinion right now, even though we do have seven returners, um, like you said, I think the reality is we have a lot of youth. And so we're very young. We are teaching of those seven returners, three of them, you know, they didn't get to experience a normal fall last year. And so when you jump into the spring, it's not like you're really teaching training every day in the spring. So there's been a lot of learning this fall. Uh, the really good thing is we've got some good good players. You got to see Elza play this last weekend. You saw Rebecca. We do have some, some talented players and players who really want to work hard and get to another level. The key right now for us is teaching them exactly what that means to work hard and get to another level. You talk about how – oh, sorry, go ahead, Jared. Yeah, I think what one dynamic that kind of needs to be mentioned is is the the best girls in college tennis. Um, I think I saw the statistic for fall nationals. I mean, the the freshmen are doing very well right off the bat. Yeah, you know, and and our all American winner this year, uh, NCAA winner last year. Um, you know, there's uh, multiple sophomores advancing well into the tournaments. So there is there's been somewhat of a shift in terms of how um you you just you just kind of give this automatic uh, narrative that that they're sophomore and then and hopefully by their junior year they start to get it you kind of there's you're trying to up that that standard right away Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's fascinating to hear you both say that because obviously we're coming off of a COVID year. And to your point, the SEC was a little bit you know, more loose or just more free in terms of what you guys were able to do last fall. Yeah. But you talk about having five players, you know, first or second year, whatever it may be. Is this the first, you know, I guess, again, did, even with last year being different, I imagine it has to help a little bit where it's not from scratch. At the same time, the flip side of that, given it's your first full fall, does it feel like a first full fall with these players where you finally actually have time to be like, all right, let's do, you know, not a hundred hours on court, but it's like, okay, now we can work on everything. 100%. Yeah. I mean, look, every single one of us in college want to figure out a way to make this a team environment. But the reality is, is you got individuals out there competing. And so 
we've got it's up to each and every team to figure out how they want to run their practices but from our standpoint we're going to have a few team practices but we really want to make sure we have some small groups and individual settings and and those were things that last year we didn't we didn't have so that makes a big difference how and every SEC coach I've spoken with has gone on and on about the hidden duels that were played last fall and just the opportunity to do that instead of the individuals. Are hidden duels here to stay? Are we going to see more team-centric events in the fall? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um, guaranteed matches. It's exposure for our, uh, our incoming freshmen, you know, two or three times in the fall to, to feel what it's like with – with a teammate on either side and then the rest of the building. Um, and it's the closest that we can replicate, you know, because we're always trying to train them in practice for a match-like setting. And I think that's that's about as close as we can get to it. So um, guaranteed, you know, you get four teams together and and, and guaranteed three singles, three doubles. That's that's more than what you can get in some of the some of the other tournaments. Right. And I think one thing that we learned last year that we've never done is very rarely will you, if ever, will you travel on a Thursday, play on a Thursday night. Normally, you know, you travel, prepare, spend the night, the next day get up and play. But last year, just financially, what we all needed to do was travel on a Friday morning, play on a Friday, play Saturday, play Sunday, come home. And the players were fine. They, they were great with it. And so, granted, we weren't traveling more than four hours, but mm-hmm. we went to some good places. We went to Vanderbilt and played that same day. Um, teams came to us, played that same day. So so that actually helped. So a couple of weeks ago, we hosted a, a hit-and-dual type event as well, had six teams and ended up with five teams, but originally it was six teams and got an extra day in on a Thursday. So, so for us, it was four matches. So you just – guaranteed fantastic tennis Mm -hmm. let me look at the flip side of it because i hadn't thought of this perspective and i want to give a shout out to oklahoma state coach chris young who presented it to me like this and i'm totally going to steal this idea moving forward um is the the idea of you know typecasting a player that early in the season what i mean by that is someone's playing five through eight and they're thinking oh that's where i'm at in the packing order and you know to have that creep into their mind that early september october that may actually be a negative versus you play fall individual tournaments at the regional i could draw sarah hamner first round i could draw whomever it may be first round any concern about that aspect, uh, you know, again, just introducing the lineup that early in the season, or is it just, you know, realistically, they're thinking about it anyways? Uh, I I personally think it's healthy. I think that um, we're, in, in a lot of ways, we've, we've morphed to where um, that's, that's a challenge, right? You know, you find out you're kind of packing order, and, and, and if you're six, seven, then then you hope the response is how, how do I ensure that that I'm not only in the lineup but I'm playing even higher than that. Um, and and if you have a one thing that Allison and I are both uh, saying constantly is is just kind of how, how involved everybody needs to be. Um, you can't have one through six, you know, invested and then have have your bench thinking that you know we turn up to watch them on the weekend. So um, I think. I'd be hard pressed to, to stray away from from not setting a lineup at any point of the year. Yeah, and the, these players, they're already thinking about the lineup. As much as I wish that I could tell you, no, they don't care. It doesn't matter if you're playing one or six. It all means the same. One hundred percent, they're thinking about the lineup. 
Um, I will say that because of dates, we have to be really cautious with who plays what events. Therefore, we had some players that would normally be a four, five, six that we're like, I wonder what this looks like for them to play a two today. How are they going to handle that? And in just walking onto that court where you walk on a court number one or court number two, it sets a different presence. And Elsa, being one of our freshmen, she walked out on, on court number two and just owned it. And, um, you know, then you have someone else who could walk out on court two and, and kind of get a little bit nervous because they're used to playing lower in the lineup. So so there, there's a lot of flexibility there. Um, you know, what we try and tell our team is whatever position you're playing today certainly does not guarantee that this is what's happening in the spring. Why are they hidden? Like, what are we hiding about the duels? I don't understand. Yeah. I've... We keep letting fans in, so it's not very hidden. <laughs> We um uh, we as an ITA needed we are meant to stay away from hidden as much as possible. But it yeah, I think the key is is from an NCA date, right? Like if you play the same team in singles and doubles, same format, then it count it should count as a date. And so the key is, is to make sure that the in order to keep it as a tournament around Robin type setting, God. that's that's the idea there. You know what's no one has ever explained that to me. I guess that, really? that yeah, they like, I, I mean, I figured it was because they don't want to use it. I kind of, you know, inferred it must be a date thing, but I never under, okay, so that makes more sense. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And so last year, the men were able to do it where they did play doubles and singles against the same team, same day. There was a, I don't know if it was a blanket waiver or what the deal was, but they were able to, um, to essentially, say this is the winner of the singles for the weekend this is the winner of the doubles for the weekend so they were able through NCA to get around that mm -hmm. uh, no. but that's the idea got it okay that no that makes more sense and you know i do have some other rule suggestions rule change thoughts for all of you a bit later but i do I would I love to hear those oh you'll you say that now um but <laughs> with that in mind uh i do want to talk about your season last year because 17 and 9 overall second round of the ncaa tournament i want to talk about some of the players as well 11 and 0 at home i feel like that's important to mention always good when you can go undefeated in your hometown but you know for you last year i feel like you know again you look at the stats it tells the story a lot of strength at the bottom of the lineup it took some work to get there at the top and when i talk about the experience that you guys bring back that was really what i'm centered uh centered on for you know eleanor to, to get 10 nine matches at the number one singles position and for you know rebecca to be playing up there at the top of the lineup as well and to bring them back just what did the lumps they took last year help you guys as coaches do to prepare them for this season um the it, it certainly helps just having exposure so you're not doing anything you know everything for the first time mm -hmm. um the players the players that you that one thing i've found coaching um spe specifically this age group is they're very concerned about who and what and and numbers and whatever it is right so they have a pretty good gauge on on the landscape that they're in now um and the to have to have them all back is is great but each season is just so different mm -hmm. and and we um i think we're going to lean on 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 some girls that that have been here for an extended period of time but um i, I think the other ones are, that the freshmen are, are ready to hit the ground running as well 
and and, and we've got a group of girls that, are, that do make them aware of what to expect and we try to do our best job without getting in in kind of in their way on, on what they can expect on a game day or or a town or a bus trip or um you know conditions at a particular place whatever it might be um last year last year yeah we had we had some kind of trends with the bottom of the lineup and then the top of the lineup but um i think there was there were multiple four three matches there yeah. where where it could have been you know a different story um but i, I just think it's it's too difficult to De- determine whether whether we'll do better or worse based on last year based on experience just because each each season is just so different would you agree again coach ohada just to even just to have them have that experience what does that give you the confidence this year going in with that group and obviously you bring in some new players as well but it's got to be a confidence boost at a minimum for sure yeah once you have that experience i mean you you have familiarity with what to expect when you're on the road or when you're at home um we have a no cell phone rule right before a match we have a no headphone rule right before a match because the goal is let's let's chat as a team let's get together as a team let's all provide some energy and get going and and as a freshman or an incoming student, if you transferred here, then that's that wasn't a rule somewhere else probably. And so all of a sudden there's little things like that where sometimes as a freshman, you're like, God, like what's the big deal? I'm just on my phone for a minute. Or what's the big deal? These headphones, whatever I'm listening to pumps me up. And the reality is, is it's a very big deal actually because one of your teammates is going to walk in and might be a little bit nervous and you need to be able to recognize that and see that and be like, Hey, we are ready to go. Let's, let's do this, you know? And, or you've worked your tail off, you know, there's, there's gotta be some sort of connection in my opinion, um, for the teams that are gonna, gonna perform better than they probably should. And those little things matter a lot. And so when you bring back seven returners, those guys have been in those shoes. So we've got two new freshmen who will both be in the lineup this upcoming season. And as good as they are, it is going to be a new environment. And, and so for sure, they are going to take a little bit of a backseat to somebody who's already been in, in, you know, in the lineup before. And in an SEC match, I mean, you said about SEC campuses. I've worked at some great other institutions. There is something incredibly intense and different about this environment. And so, yeah, anytime you can build on past experience, then, um, then I think you are going to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about that experience, 16 and 6 at four singles. 19 and 2 at 5 singles, 16 and 4 at 6 singles. Yeah. Move over Luca Wiedemann and Giles Hussey. The better <laughs> bottom half of the lineup last year was the Tennessee Lady Volunteers and you know obviously you lose some of the contributors to that bottom half but you've got like you, as we mentioned there's a lot of talent on the roster this season. What do you guys do to try to replicate yeah, that success? Yeah, the, the, the two of those three that that had those records they're returning, right? Yeah. So they they've won matches. And and as a coach, you hope that that spillover effect is is what we take into this season. Yeah, and you, and you just asked how do you replicate that? Um, so Daria, I'll use her as example. What was her record? Nineteen and two or something? Yeah, I think it was twenty and three overall. Okay, so twenty and three. So um, she is an outstanding worker mm-hmm. and wants nothing more than to make everybody around her proud and and happy and um but with that said she puts a ton of pressure on herself so we just had a conversation a few weeks ago because 
that record that you're talking about last year, that came by simply just putting your head down and going to work and, and taking care of your business. It didn't come from trying to be trying to have a 20 and three record. Now, all of a sudden you get enough people talking about it in her mind. She literally asked the question, how am I supposed to do that again? And my reply to her was, I don't know if you will do it again. And to be honest, I hope that we don't see you do that again. I, I hope that you're playing at a higher level where now all of a sudden you're you're going to be pushed a little bit more. And so what if you are 15 and five or 14 and six, the key is developing and getting a lot better. Like my goal for you isn't to be 24 and zero at six, having competed against people you were just better than the whole time. That's not real. So so I hope that she can really, and, and that conversation does seem to have helped um, because yeah, I mean, we can't go back and recreate what we already did, but we certainly hope that we're going to do better. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, someone else in that theme, you've got uh, Tanika McGriffin, who 16 and four last year. And, you know, you talk about you have four years with these players. Well, right now you have five years with these players. And, right. you know, that gets me into one of the broader things I wanted to hit on. And obviously you both have been in college tennis for the majority of your lives. And I'm curious, the talent it takes right now, the depth I mean, it's obvious to say when you have five classes of players, but it feels like it just does take more right now and to get your own fifth year back. Uh, I, I feel like that, that's got to help set a tone at the top, right? Someone who's been a part of the program that long. For sure. 100%. I mean, she's, she's essentially a coach on the tennis court now. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's somebody who we can have very limited conversation with and she just understands what's going on. Um, she knows that we can spend time with the younger part of our team and doesn't get her feelings hurt. Yeah. She, she just gets it. There's all sorts of stuff. There's the locker room setting that again, last, last fall, we weren't allowed to use the locker rooms this year we are. So in that locker room setting, there's conversations that come up and, and they're important conversations that he and I aren't, aren't in there for. And so somebody in that locker room needs to control that setting and, and help out. And that's for sure. Tanika. I, at this point, I do th- like you should just speak to her in a different language. Just at this exactly. point, it's like I have nothing left in English to teach you, so we're going to move <laughs> yeah. on to Chinese. These guys, these two Aussies, they have their own language anyway. Yeah, so. we, we barely speak English. <laughs> yeah, so, this is my good. second language, so yeah, yeah, I can tell. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you no, know, when you look at the team, and uh, you know, again, some of the other things, and we'll move on to 2021. But you know, I was talking to a coach, and I think it was Todd Petty for Texas Tech. I told him he had 14 double teams last year and he goes that is terrible coaching by me uh now you know again we're probably close to that well i was gonna say you hit 9 10 like that's actually a pretty normal number i look for you guys i believe it's 13 you hit that's definitely on the higher side i feel like we're flipping a lot yeah Yeah. so is that searching is that you know again searching for just teams that work all the clicking and when you're preparing for this offseason are you focusing on just getting people in, you know, Tennessee doubles? Let's play Tennessee doubles. Or are you trying to look for pairs with continuity? Right. Part of those changes, you're spot on, right? Part of those changes were were strictly because we, we knew that some of the players had full buy-in to what we were teaching. Some did not. And um, and that was, that, that needed, that kind of standard needed to be set. Um, and then other times that you know whether it's strategy or, or lingering injury everyone everything kind of came together last year for multiple teams to be to be formed you also this didn't happen to us but for todd maybe it did but there are some teams that all of a sudden you had someone who was a close contact and you had to take them out of their lineup at the last minute 
So there was a lot of that, but I would say it's more what Jared just said. And I mean, this guy, I don't know if you've ever seen him play dubs, but he's a doubles guru and, and he's phenomenal at explaining it, which a lot of people can play the game, but they struggle to explain a bit. And so he, he did a really good job of explaining or currently does a good job of explaining that to the team. And so now all of a sudden, when you have full buy-in, who's willing to be coachable? I mean, they're just doing this. And then you have the other players who it's, it starts to do this a little bit, not because they're getting worse, but because those other players are getting so much better in, in such a quicker way. And, um, and so now the key there is, well, we've got so-and-so that serves lights out. Why don't we just have someone that's finishing on top of the net? But if now you get somebody who's hesitant to have a ball come at them, then it we're wasting a serve. And so, you know, so just trying to really take last year and, and explain and teach, we hope that we have three teams that we go into the spring with and are able to, to allow them to create that chemistry and just organically play some dubs. But um, we'll see. Yeah. For the record, we'll get to 2013 if Mikhail doesn't go down and if he and Hunter can win that, you know, number one doubles <laughs> position, would you guys have beaten Virginia that year? Maybe. Maybe. Tough. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll yeah. Get there. <laughs> exactly. We'll get there. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you can work all. Yeah. You know, I hear my stories. I've, I've seen the match. I mean, look, was Hunter Reese ever going to beat Alex Damashan? No. Um, tough, but tough yeah. Oh, man. I think I might have hit a sore spot. I'm afraid now. Um, <laughs> His hair was better, though. Was Hunter's hair better? Uh, what was Hunter wearing then? It might, it might have been just the beard. No, no, no man Hunter, bun. No, no, no man bun or beard then. Yeah, no, he was clean cut then. That was pretty. Yeah, yeah that was when he was under you know a strict, strict. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was back when there were some rules. Now there's no rules for Hunter. Um, but you know, again, uh, so for that team, given you have new faces, given you've got young, uh, you know, some young players as well, you can focus on. What have you thought of the progression they've made this fall? What is it at, you know, the results you're seeing on court? Obviously, as you mentioned, you had Martena Tomase both at the fall mats uh, this past weekend. Uh, what have you seen from the team as you prepare for the 2022 season? Yeah, I've seen a lot of growth. I'll let Jared talk about the tennis. From my standpoint, I've seen a lot of growth in terms of their ability to mature mentally and emotionally. Um, I have been to a couple tournaments this fall where – I have never seen as many women in a locker room crying as I have after matches. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of pressure that these kids are putting on themselves. And for whatever reason, that's a, a whole nother topic. But, but with that said, there's just such an enormous amount of pressure that it's, it's almost not even fun sometimes. And so from our standpoint, it's like, all right, how can we work our tail off? but also understand that we can't, we're never going to get better if our emotions are constantly doing this because then your attitude is just going to do this. And so let, let's learn to be tough. Let's figure out what, what does it mean to control my emotions? You've got all these people talking about yoga and breathing, and there's all sorts of, of ways to manage, manage this intensity that we have. But the reality is, is not many people are managing it during the match. Mm-hmm. And so from our standpoint, that was really big. The first two weeks of practice, we didn't get to see a lot of the our two new freshmen for instance we hadn't seen them hit a tennis ball in person one time before they got to campus and um and so we watched them play and we were kind of mind boggled anyway prior to because their results were up and then down and up and you're like god like and and then you see them and two weeks into training you're like well now it makes perfect sense you know i mean you 
you can't even get through an entire two hour, two and a half hour practice without mentally breaking down or wanting to cry or being so mad that you, the next 10 minutes are a waste. And so, so that was our, that was a huge focus because if we're going to be as good as, as we can be next semester, we better be consistent and we're not going to be consistent if we have those types of practices. So that's been my, my focus. And together we've been able to really tackle that. I do think the girls have gotten pretty good actually. And then from a tennis standpoint, I'll let you. Yeah, I think that I agree with Allison that there has been growth. Um, and, and we would both be the first to acknowledge there's a long way to go right. as well with right. in that aspect. Um, we put a, we put a premium on competitiveness um, and that dynamic the, the your teammates and the ones for, for coming from a guy's team playing on that, it, it's, it's not a problem to go and try to beat up on each other every day of practice. There is a, there is a different dynamic on the women's side um, in terms of, of practice and um yeah just kind of embracing that more has has been an area that we've focused on and and loving the game because because that simple question um of loving the game makes it all a little easier Mm -hmm. right if you have a a strong desire to be better than what you were yesterday then waking up or doing an additional however long or or like trying to get yourself reset after just blowing a 5-2 lead but all those things happen easier right then they seem monumental um when you when you're not at that place in terms of you know your your relationship with tennis mm-hmm. so yeah that's been a big focus yeah, and that no. stuff that's going to apply for the rest of their lives i mean you, you are you are a perfect example right now you just spent how many total hours but behind your chair in a dark room and sitting behind a screen, you know, and that, that, that's exhausting. And you did an outstanding job at it and you're already ready to go again. But, but if you don't love what you're doing, then that is, that exhaustion takes over. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, first of all, thank you for the pandering. It's, you know, I don't get it. I had a coach, uh, I was doing it with uh, Anthony Pham of Colorado and he quoted a tweet of mine to me. And I was like, Oh, I was like, you're welcome back anytime. I was like, please. Thank you. I was like, go on. I was like, go on. Who's this wise man. Um, but yeah, I, it's no, you're, you're right. I, for me, it's just to talk about your point. I, I knew I should, I had a full-time job, not in tennis after college. And we were doing this on the side and I was talking to my dad and I was like, I think I should do this full-time. When, when he was like, yeah, you probably should do this full time. Like you seem to very much like this and you're having some success and it's just much easier. And I was like, oh man, I, I probably should do this then full time. Yeah. So you're right that that buy in it takes and look, it takes a, a certain sort of person. You have to be a little bit crazy to spend 14 hours on a Friday staring at your laptop watching the Barnes right. Tennis Center. And so, you know, it takes the same thing to be that sort of athlete uh, to have the degree of success you guys want to have at Tennessee. And that brings me to the first question that I've been asking all of these coaches because for so many players, and I know our listeners, parents, kids, whatever they may be, want to hear from all of you. I want to give every coach the opportunity to give me their pitch. So I want to hear the recruiting pitch. I know it's on the spot, but why should I be coming down to Tennessee? What sort of kid are you guys looking for? You know, what, what's what's why is it worthwhile to become a lady volunteer? Yeah, the pitch, to be honest, is straight up. If you come to Tennessee and play for us, we are going to help you prepare for everything in life. We are going to teach you how to be disciplined and what it means to truly work work hard. Everybody thinks that they're working hard before they come to school. 
get to school and you realize, oh yeah, that was not, that wasn't what I thought it was. So now I am working hard, but, but we're going to help you prepare for everything in life. You know, the reality is, is very few players are going to become a successful top 120 player in the world and make money at, at this career. So, so what are you going to, what's your plan B, you know, and, and how are we going to help you prepare for plan A if that is pro tennis or plan B if it's something in the business industry. And, and that's why the two of us are going to make sure that, that the parents know that we are going to take care of their children. We understand that they are student athletes and we are going to push them, but we're also going to respect the fact that they're your kids and, and we're going to make sure that they're taken care of. And if they need help, we're going to be there for them, no matter what that is. Um, in terms of the whole environment, we talked about this earlier, the SEC is very different when it comes to the expectations all across the board in athletics. So to me, if you are somebody who wants to win or wants to be surrounded by people who have that winning mentality, come to an SEC school because I don't care. If, let's say we had bowling. I promise you we want to win a national championship in bowling. Like, <laughs> it is just a different mindset, a different level. And so when you surround yourself with other athletes from other sports in the weight room, on the track, wherever it is that you're training, those guys, everybody around you wants to win at a very high level. They all want to make it to the league or whatever's next. And so you're surrounded with excellence and, and that's gonna, it's gonna wear off on you when your roommate is a stud basketball player and they're waking up at six in the morning to be in the gym at six 30 because practice doesn't start till seven. And they just want to make sure that they're there early. That stuff wears off on you as a roommate. And next thing you know, you bring it to our team. So, so I would say the overall, um, experience that you're going to get at Tennessee is just going to be first class. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask this to both of you. I'll start with you here, Jared, to have played at Tennessee and to have been a student athlete. And you probably are like, you know, that residence hall across the courts used to be nothing and it's freaking gorgeous right. now. I heard the stories. You know, I did my right. reporting. Um, oh, yeah. But does that make it easier to just communicate with the players having been a Tennessee athlete for both of you? In what ways does that just make your job easier? It does massively because um, I was an international student athlete as well. Seven of our nine girls are international. So um, to be able to speak to uh, just the, the 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 culture of this country, knowing that knowing all the questions they may have in regards to this change in in, in their life, um, the and 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 Knoxville for me, obviously, uh, I returned after after graduating, um, because there is um, such an incredible passion for for this brand. Mm-hmm. And and the people involved in it at the University of Tennessee. So that's um, and you have, but you have to emerge yourself in it to realize how great it is, mm-hmm. right? So that's where I do feel like that 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 I can be a bridge for for our athletes to recognize by by throwing yourself into this experience, um, just how fulfilling it is with the relationships and 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 the experiences, you know, years later mm-hmm. that is st- that are still you know, that I'm still working through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the coolest things is our baseball team went to the world series last year. And I remember the last time, one of the last times we went to the world series, I was still in school and I couldn't go cause we were competing. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking one day I want to get to the world series to watch the balls next time it happens. And sure enough, it's then, and all my buddies who played baseball back in the early two thousands, late nineties, we all met up in Omaha. Like it was, it was amazing. And, um, those same guys, you know, your same friends from other sports, they're coming back for football games every weekend. And and so you run into people. We were showing a recruit around a few weeks ago, and this guy runs into a former athlete 
Mm-hmm. It was a good buddy of his. And and those things don't happen when you're on other campuses. And um, and so when when a recruit sees that or your players see it, there's just such a such a sincere feeling that comes with that. And um, we've I've coached at some amazing schools, but it doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a flag in my office that I had everybody sign when I graduated from here. Cause I was like, one day I want to have that in my, my office at Tennessee and, and a bunch of the administrators um, then are still very much a part of my life. Now they're all here in Knoxville. It's just, it's a special feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated from our sport management program, went and spoke to our master's program this morning, actually. And to be able to say, like, I, I was in y'all seat 20 years ago, and um, it, there's just something different about that. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, I want to ask some broader questions about recruiting, but it seems like for both of you, and, you know, again, I'm sure at some point head coaching is in the future, but this feels like a dream job and like a dream pairing for both of you just to be home. Is that safe to say? And it does feel like, again, there's an enthusiasm, not to say every coach doesn't bring enthusiasm, but there's a, a true love for school. It, it's it's not hard to, you know, it's not fake when you're selling Tennessee. No, not at all. I mean, we're, we're extremely passionate about the fact that um, and this is, you know, Allison has, has chosen for our working relationship to, to operate the way it does. But there's a true enthusiasm for the fact that we're both here at the school that we went to, played to, for, can reminisce on people, experiences, um, can can spill it out to the girls as well. Um, we're on, you know, call it for what it is, we're on an endeavor to, to return the program to <laughs> right. where it should be. Um, and and we're encouraged by its trajectory, and and going back to the pitch question, um, you know, these next couple of years, it, it's exciting to pitch it because it's believable now, right? We had a season that, you know, that that yes, it was it was improvement, um, but it, it it's just part of where we're trying to get to. And what's interesting in that season last year is although there was improvement, there was disappointment oh, at, yeah. at times, you know, and we're like, oh, like there's a couple of L's on that resume that, that, that make me want to vomit. Right. <laughs> and so the trajectory is going to continue to do that. Um, but right. But the people who we do it with is what what really matters um, a lot. You mentioned head coaching at some point for this guy. And yeah, my my dream was for sure to be and is for sure to still be here at Tennessee. The next kind of layer to that is that hopefully we can, and this will be an administrative conversation at some point, but hopefully we can be co-head coaches. And then at some point I can retire and he takes it over. And so so when we both are all in the way we are, it's, I mean, it is a freaking joy to come to work every morning. You're way too young to even consider retirement yet. That's... I mean, retirement is, yeah, like, look, yeah. I'll always do something. But I'm just saying, um, I want I want him to experience that. And I would love for us to be able to experience co-head coaching together. And, you know, because it, Jared is easily one of the best coaches I've ever worked with and or even seen on court. And so, yeah, like a staff is what helps you be really good. You know, one person can do it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, that speaks to what you guys are building down there. And for you, you alluded to this earlier, and I think we've answered this question, but for you, Coach Ojeda, what brought you back when, you know, again, 2016 job is coming open and you've been coaching a bunch of different places. I'm sure there were some options available. Was it just as soon as the call went out, I was like, yep, I'm coming home. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> they, literally that is it. Um, I've always wanted to come back to Tennessee. Mike Patrick was my old coach. 
he knew that Daryl Worrell, Joan Cronin, those guys, they all knew it. And um, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it does mean the second I get that phone call, whatever I am doing, I'm stopping and coming to Tennessee. And um, I did, I was looking at taking some other head coaching jobs. So I knew that that was, I knew that my time at Baylor was, I was ready to move on and um, learned a ton and I'm unbelievably thankful for my time there, but it was time to move on. And, and so I was actually at, a, at Illinois, I was at Central Florida on campuses and got the phone call here and, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for you, Jared, same thing with the you know added twist. And I want to go back to you on this, Coach Ojeda. But when did you know? Because you were playing pros, obviously, and no. you were, and you know, you I, you're what? I'm doing the math here. You're younger than 35, which means you're still young enough to be playing on pros, hypothetically, if you wanted to. Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm 29. Yeah, okay, that checks out. Are you sure? Let me see. Lift it up. Um, no, I'm no, just no, proceeding, man. I'm not showing that. Amen, amen. Yeah. But um, no. Uh, so again, 29 is smack. You could still be out on tour if you wanted to be. Yeah. Why were you ready to to come and you know back to Tennessee, come coach? Honestly, for me, it was um, I, I wrestled with with what how, what ranking did I need to get to to make a living and and i knew i could get to a certain point and did i have my own self-belief in my, in my own tennis ability to get to to where i knew it was feasible to keep doing it um as far as you know and that, and that ultimately led to three years and and i still you know right now with the challenger going on there's so many good friends of mine here that are, that are still playing and mm-hmm. uh, doing it but but you're you know you're well versed enough to know what that lifestyle looks like mm-hmm. And um, and I was just completely enamored with this idea of improving my ranking, and and what became like this journey to improve as a tennis player because I'm not I'm not going to fund a coach when I'm when I'm trying to you know pay for the hotel and the flights and all that. Um, so so you become your own you, you become your own captain in in that regard to your career, and um, it just it, it felt like the right time. And, and going into the 2018 season um, is when, you know, I volunteered one semester in Nashville with, with um, the Vanderbilt men mm-hmm. and then and then an in, interim assistant with Vandy women for one year before Allison called me. And uh, um, But I wasn't, I, I really wasn't thinking about getting into college as a, as a full-time career and um, thankful that I did that first that first semester of 2018 because um yeah it's it's i I love it i love it same question for you ohada uh coach ohada excuse me um but you know for you guys to for you to because you did go and play pros and you had some success and obviously you had a ton of success in your time at tennessee i'm sure you had confidence as you going out there Web, because I always think this is fascinating. I also think part of the reason college tennis is as good as it is right now is because we have so many former players and so many, you know, not only college tennis players, but people who had success in the pros as well. When, you know, what was it? Was it college coaching in, uh, in general or coaching, uh, you know, just in general, in general, that general that you that you would, that you would have gotten into? Yeah. So um, do you know, do you remember Bob McKinley by any chance? A little All bit. Right, so yeah. Bob was out at um, Dominion Country Club in San Antonio, Texas. He was my junior coach. Then he went out to John Newcomb Tennis Academy in New Braunfels. And um, well before his time coaching us in juniors, he was the coach at Trinity. But And back then, Trinity was a Division One school. They had 
unbelievable players. They won a national championship. And um, we're talking like 78 to 82. That's like prime there Trinity. There you go. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so New Braunfels was about a 45 minute drive from us. And so his son, Seth and I, we spent every day in the car with Bob. We'd drive 45 minutes, we'd practice, we'd come back and, and you have conversations and my conversation, there's no cell phones then. So our conversations then was <laughs> tell me more about college coaching. And so I, I remember being 14 years old, knowing I want to be a college coach. I cannot wait to experience this. And, and then the next bit was if for whatever reason, I don't enjoy college coaching, I wanted to get into sports marketing. So I knew that those were the two things when I was at Tennessee, and this goes back to the recruiting pitch, like we're going to give you every opportunity. We, we had a $13 million contract with Adidas every year for years. And part of that was two interns on campus got to two student athletes got to go be interns. And, um, and so I got an internship with Adidas, loved it, but I just was like, man, this is cool, but I really want to go experience college coaching. I've now played, unfortunately got injured and uh, Bobby Kleinicke at Texas A&M called me and I actually flew down to A&M to interview between the first round of NCAAs and the round of 16 back then. So flew to A&M, came back and then flew out to Stanford for NCAAs and accepted the job while I was there. And um, and I just, I love it. I, nothing against pro tennis or junior tennis. For me personally, college tennis is exactly where I want to be. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for working with these student athletes who are 17 to 22 years old and they're trying to figure out life. And, uh, you know, I think Jared is an unbelievable person. And so for me, that's really important that we can provide um, kind of sound advice to these guys where they're trying to figure stuff out because it's, it's not as simple as waking up to your mom cooking your breakfast and your dad meeting you after practice, you know, for dinner. So it's just, you got to figure it all out here. And um, we don't want you to have to do it alone, but at the same time, you're going to do it alone. Mm-hmm. No, I I realized this was always a good career path. My coach used to tell stories of like Buff Faro and Paul Harhus, and I would listen. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And now I'm yeah. starting to realize like, why did I find that interesting? Like, boy, that's where the yeah, that's where it starts to take the turn. And right. you know, again, uh, for both of you having played college tennis, knowing the demands of being a scholar athlete. I'm curious where you guys are at with NIL, and obviously we can save the immigration discussion for later because right now international players aren't able to benefit off of that the way they definitely should be, and I know college tennis is particularly impacted uh, given how many international players are found amongst the ranks, but is NIL, is that going to be part of the recruiting pitch moving forward? And I, if NIL plays out, like, does it make college more appealing for the best juniors in the world if you can benefit off of NIL in it, through a couple of years of college? It has to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if we give them the opportunity, especially the internationals, as I said, we've got seven of our nine on the roster um, that cannot participate in it. But um, it, it, it has to. If you can, if you can give yourself reason you know that unfortunately for so many of them that are making the decision between pro and college there's this um, grand idea that you make a whole bunch of money your first couple of years on tour which is just not the case mm-hmm. and and if there is a financial alternative um it, it, it may make the the decision to at least try it for a year mm-hmm. um you know a, a more of a reality um, I think it, it's it's good, and and we the the current landscape for college tennis I think is very healthy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a very good product. We've got great people like yourself shining light on it now, and and we're we're in a good place. The the and and I think these you know the more opportunities that we can give to prospects um, um, like NIL, then then it's only going to improve. Same question to yeah. you, Coach. And by the way, the rule change topics, where that's what we're hitting next. I've got the rule changes for you. Yeah, so I I think college athletics looks completely different today than it ever has. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is up to us as coaches and administrators to find a way to take advantage of every new rule that you're about to share with us. But, but everything, because if we don't, we are going to be the ones that are left behind, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got to figure out a way to to progress and to evolve with the new rules. And so from a, from an American standpoint, heck yeah, NIL, I mean, it's huge. It, I mean, if you think about it, what are, you come to college, especially on the men's side, on the women's side, it's a full scholarship, you know, then you get cost of attendance and now you got more money that's coming your way. So, but on the men's side, you got four and a half scholars. If, if you're an American kid, from this area and you come play at, at your state school, you better believe there are gonna be some ways to benefit from it. I don't care if it's free food, if it's free laundry somewhere, you could possibly even get a dorm, or, well, not a dorm, but right off campus, an apartment to pay for your housing. So if you're willing to to work the system and understand how it, it works, then man, I think you can really benefit. On the women's side, I mean, yeah, like we, we've got players who want to go play pro tennis in the summer. Why not figure out what club you want to train out of? And I mean, I can name a, a handful of coaches right now, junior coaches who would love to have a college experienced player down there training with their 14, 15, 16 year old kids. If they're going to get free housing, free training, and that's going to save them money so that they can compete. Yeah, you take advantage of it. Um, Mm-hmm. It, you know, on your end, I don't know if there's any, you probably have a short list of athletes who you would love to fly in. They come sit and spend the day with you and chat with them, pick their brain. And you can do that now. They can do that. Well, Jared was my one. And now it's kind of like my list is empty. And so it's. But you got it. Yeah. What am I, I, I going to ask? Davy Sandgren? Like, that's my list. <laughs> yeah, it's like, here's 20 where, bucks. Yeah, what? Where do you go from here? New business model. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I mean, for us, absolutely. Like, and I think it helps college tennis. Why wouldn't you want for the best sure. faces to broadcast sure. the game, right? And be put in a position to do so. And so, yeah, I, I can't imagine it doesn't build well. My other thing, it's, t- you know, it's the college tennis towns, or not college tennis towns, but just college towns in general, where, you know, Tennessee is such, a, you know, built into everything in Knoxville and just there are going to be, there's going to be the one guy who loves tennis. And it's just like that, that that person exists on all these college campuses. I also think my pet theory is the Ivy Leagues because it's just like it takes one signing bonus from one of your former players to be like, hey, do you want to just be the best program in the country? Well, just please. Like, I just need the bonus every year. That's all. Not even right. the base salary. Right. And yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then from an international aspect, we, you know, we're all working on ways to, um, like right now, obviously they can make some money and contribute it to a foundation or mm-hmm. a charity. Um, they're currently looking into, are there ways to, mm-hmm. it, we have a player, a couple of players from Latvia. Can they do something back home in Latvia during the summer months when they're not here on campus and they're back home? And so, so people are looking into stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing that Tennessee is doing is we actually are creating a new, I'm not 
exactly positive about the title of it, but we're creating a new undergrad program specific to name, image, and likeness. So now yeah, all of a sudden, a, it's a it's a minor. Yeah, you can in minor in uh, entrepreneurial something whatever it it's is personal. But, yeah, it's, and it's, it teaches you the whole. Thing. So what they're talking about is personal brand management. It's in the College of Business, and um, and student athletes can take the minor, and it kind of teaches them about building like a personal brand. Um, you study professional athletes like like shoe contracts like LeBron James and Michael Jordan, um, like Saquon Barkley with his like sweatshirts and all this stuff. You kind of study cases like that. And then it's for student athletes to say, all right, this is what professionals are doing. This is how you can translate it to yourself at the local level. And we have some of our guys kind of doing that, like a, a bunch of football student athletes are starting to find ways to build their personal brand. So if you want me to share stories like that, or get get you more details on that. I can let you know, but I'll let I'll let them continue. I was just adding. No, I appreciate it. What I'm going to say, I'm going to go to the recruiting pitch question I asked earlier, and just cut and put that in, and just delete exactly. their answers. I was like, Max, yeah, yeah, yeah there's the pitch. Um, no, yeah. that that's awesome. And again, it just speaks to the resources that are available for so many of these players now, and it's why we exactly. are, are yes, yeah, such advocates of college tennis. All right, I've already taken up more of your time, so I'm rapid-firing here through the rule changes. I'm just going to throw them at you one by one. You guys can both let me know what you think. 500 okay. rule. It got waived last year. Are you in favor of it just being gone forever, or do you keep the 500 rule, which, for those who don't know, you have to be 500 or better to get the NCAA tournament? I personally am in favor of doing away with it simply because – we, I don't want us to hold back on scheduling, and that's what you're seeing happening. Mm-hmm. Jared? Completely agree. Probably the best teams. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. No, I'm in on that. All right, warm-up before the doubles. Obviously, there's no more warm-up anymore, uh, something a lot of coaches have expressed, as opposed to a full thing, just even serves and returns, just three minutes of serves and returns before doubles. We don't need before singles, just doubles. Are you in favor of that returning, or are you fine with how it is? I love no warm up, but I am a humongous fan of how the heck can we get our sport on TV? And in order to do that, we got to cut out as much baloney time as possible and warm up. At that point, we've already warmed our team up. All right. You might feel differently being a doubles player. No, nah, no warm up. If you're tight before the match, <laughs> three minutes of serving is not going to make you untight. <laughs> okay, I like it. Well, now we can get into the entertainment portion coin toss. It's a mixed, it's a missed opportunity. There's just no doubt about that. I've got two options for you. Let's start with my preferred option. You talk about those opening moments when players are getting on court and whatever. In lieu of just sitting around waiting for the action to start, what we do, we have the head coaches drop and hit one point. Winner decides who serves on every court. One point between the coaches. Are you guys in favor? Yeah, my groundies were rubbish, so... Um... <laughs> Uh, as long as I, as long as they fed to me, <laughs> then I can chip and come in. Um, but that's the only way I'm signing up for that. Forehand cross court exchange. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even coaching. I'm not even doing it. One hundred percent in favor. I think that would be. I would pay money to go watch Chris Woodruff play one point yeah. before a match. Like. The guy would be—he would have warmed up himself. Oh, you know, like he's not losing Did that point. Woodruff Tucker, center court. Like their rackets are getting thrown, and it's like you have thrown out all example. You can't yes. yell at your yeah, kids anymore. This. Court coaches are ejected. The match hasn't even started yet. Yeah, yeah Tim, you did you more yeses than I expected? Give us the same 
it doesn't give us the same power in the locker room after that. <laughs> if we lose and they come back and tell us, hey, that, that's just as much on you as it is us. Counterpoint. Builds accountability at all levels. Builds exactly. camaraderie. We'd have to practice again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jared, why aren't you hitting with us cross court? You need this. We saw your point. You've lost three in a row. I can't yeah, exactly. keep returning first. Exactly. Like, come on. Don't tell me not to be tight when you can't find a court. <laughs> You're going to ask for the 10-minute warm-up. You're going to be like, I need just... All right, can we hold for a second, please? Exactly. I like that. All right, well, now we're getting particularly crazy. Lawless lineups. And obviously, you go 11-0 at home last season, so maybe Tennessee doesn't need this. But to really emphasize home crowd advantage, because I think a locked-in college tennis crowd does more for any sport uh, as a crowd than any other sport. Simply put, if even if it's only 12 people yelling at one individual, that one individual is going to feel all 12 of those people. So to fully... Double down. Let's make home matches that much more close. Let's just, again, try and double down on the parity. Lawless lineups. Away team submits at the start of the week or whatever. Home team gets to match up however they deem fit. Ooh. Yeah, well, you have to adjust in the rankings for an away win then. Yeah, so the other thing we were going to do is top three pools. So you could say, here's my top three, here's my four, five, six, match up in the threes and the four, five, sixes, however you want. So it's like, so it's not too lopsided yeah. because you don't want, like, you know, again, someone who's got pro aspirations just beating up on people all year long. What does that do for their development? But two pools, yeah. tops. And again, just to, let's get creative here. The crowd's part of maybe. And, and, and it's like, it, it's not like we don't already have, you know, exactly. all kinds of he said she said about who's playing where i mean we've got something in place to to work through but that's that's pretty radical that is pretty (laughs) radical i can think of other things i would do prior to getting there but with that said if that brought fans to our matches and if that somehow put us on tv oh yeah yes yeah. yeah, or just think like we go full circle. Jared plays, or you, you know, Coach Oheda plays a really good point, and you're like, I'm subbing in. I'm playing six. I'm feeling I, it today. I I'm think, loose. Yeah, I think being able to sub in will be amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm good with that idea for another five or six years, and then I'm <laughs> getting sore. I've had many coaches say, "Can there be an AARP card or over fifty rule?" Where it's just like if you have, you know, you're you either handicap, of those. You're up fifteen love That's every right. game. That's right. Or yeah, yeah you just yeah, you get to let play, your, um, yeah the assistant maybe, gets to play. It's just like yeah, I don't have to play. Maybe, anymore. We, maybe we play fast four. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, the salaries for the assistants would be going up like crazy if we went to that one point prior to rule. I mean, and we'd have coaches faking their age to be like, no, I'm 52. It's like, you, you graduated last like year. The retired, the retired challenger to him, pretty much. Oh, there's just some Not really fun. Yeah, no, I like it. I'm in. I Again, I mean, obviously, I mean, it was my idea. Um, but so, yeah. All right. Uh, again, sort of a serious one here. Individual spring versus fall. Where are you guys on that topic? Oof. Um, I I actually like the idea of moving individuals to the fall. And the main reason why, and I'm going to go back to TV on this one, is if our sport is going to be on television, we've got to figure out how to get to a two, two and a half hour max cap. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can really do that and guarantee it from a TV standpoint is to change our scoring format. And whether that's the way we compete, whether it's the score that we use in the current competition, whatever that looks like, we got to change that. And otherwise, we're never going to be able to guarantee a two-hour window, two-and-a-half-hour window. And 
the only way, in my opinion, to do that is to move fall nationals or move nationals to the fall. And then those results are done. And then the individual results in the spring are not that they're irrelevant, but they matter significantly less, right? We don't need to finish matches to figure out who's going to get into the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. We can play 4A team, just like basketball, football, volleyball, soccer. The team wins or loses, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And and then same with then college tennis. The match is over, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think right now it's too hard to to get enough people on the same page because of NCAs in the in the spring. No, absolutely. And I, I not to cut you off, Jared, because I want to hear your answer as well. But just to throw something at you, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who has thought this. And it's very nice as a pipe dream, much more difficult to execute. I know they've done the U.S. collegiate event second week of the U.S. Open before, but. Maybe an actual nugget that would get the U.S. Open crowd to come attend week two is make it the NCAA tournament. Have all the graduates in New York City and be like, hey, all your players are here competing that second week in the individual tournament. And you have to – the rule would be you have to play the spring before to be eligible for that September's U.S. Open. So that's where I'm – where are you, Jared? Yeah, I think – um, I, I think that the the spring results prior have to count if you're going to move to the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, and be, and then you set aside um, a certain allotment into the main draw based on fall standouts so that our freshmen are taken care of as well. And I never even thought about this till right now, but you saying that with US Open, I mean, I've never once heard that suggested. That's outstanding. The only thing that I'm thinking now is maybe if we were to do that, maybe actually student athletes get one additional semester yeah. then to be able to play that individual fall. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's that would be incredible. Yeah, it's, no, I, it would be it, it would be great if you could do all American fall nats after the NCAA tournaments. Like you play those if you want, and then you have a whole spring result for the people who join in January, and it's like you have to play either of those two periods to be eligible for that next September U.S. Open uh, NCAA tournament, and that brings me and I'm I'm going to start here with you, Jared. Regardless of nationality, should the NCAA winner get a wild card? Obviously, it's easy to tell the USTA what to do, but where are you on that? No, I don't think they should. Interesting. Really? Why? I think that this country has provided so much opportunity to so many internationals already. This guy. <laughs> it's fair. I, I've been on the I've been on the receiving end of of a, of a federation and trying to get a wild card in in my home slam as well, and um, that that's there's there's a lot that goes into there's a lot that goes into the the calendar year for each player mm-hmm. and um and i it, it's hard to justify that i think yeah coach agree disagree i respectfully disagree i, I like think it. that every one of us we're recruiting international athletes just as hard as we're recruiting american athletes and to me if nca if the if the winner of the ncas gets a wild card in the u.s open and it happens to be a player from europe heck yeah they should they should get that wild card does it mean that the usda shouldn't make sure that they set aside wild cards for the american kids like that to me is totally irrelevant like of course our american kids need to get some wild cards into the open and um but no to me this is an organization and if nca says if if college athletics and ncaa join to say this one event winner gets 
the wild card, I absolutely think it should go to the winner, period. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about, it's the representative of college tennis. And it shouldn't be beholden on the USTA and not these other, although, but the thing is, college tennis is based in America. And that's why it's the USTA's responsibility. And it's like, you're either invested in the NCAA and college tennis or you're not. And it's like... I agree. But college tennis, it would not be what it is if it wasn't for our international athletes. Exactly. You know, and so yeah. that that's why I think like they, they're bringing so much to the table and tennis is an international sport. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's not that we don't want our Americans to do well. One hundred percent we do. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is, yeah, if this is going to be the winner, like you said, representation of college athletics. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, with all that said, do you two go back and forth? Who had the better career? Because we know it was Coach Ojeda, right? Like we just agree. The oh, absolutely. That's career. the right. Re- yeah, absolutely. I say it all day. We go back and forth about are we going to eat at Jersey Mike's or Publix today? I went to that Publix. I would be pub subbing so twice a week. Twice a week. It's just so good. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a soup that we love. It's outstanding. Uh-huh. Um, no, I will say that the older I have gotten with coaching, the easier it is for me to realize when you have somebody who's really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of the career that either one of us have had, I do think that our, our past experiences on court does help us as coaches, but he's, he's one of the best doubles coaches I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in terms of, I'm a huge fan of scouting always have been. And in terms of looking at film and understanding what's going on on the other side of the court, he's outstanding at it. So I have no problem saying, hey, here's where you are excellent. Let's make sure that, that we are maximizing your abilities in these areas. Mm-hmm. And I'll go take care of something else, you know? No, I love it. And uh, not to, again, some joke questions here for you now. Three fun ones to end. Do you just have the PlaySite camera at the Lapaya or however you say it, State Gym, just on at all times? And you're like, okay, who's the next in Latvia? We got fortunate with that one, didn't we? Yeah, back to back. And she she can play. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just like, is that, it's just like, we're keeping that PlaySite camera on. Right. right. Yeah. You've got their Latvian nationals coming up. I'm like, girls, who's who's next? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, next question. Is the word gruff an appropriate description of Chris Woodruff? Because that's just what I just feel like. It's a word-human combination has never been maybe more accurate. So spell that for me. Yeah, it's G-R-U-F-F, a little gruff. I don't know if that's a real, real word. That was a word in the Gruskin household, but it's just like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, obviously... Anybody that knows him well enough, a little eccentric. So Gruff seems relatively eccentric. Um, he's great. Uh, obviously, he, he coached me. Um, he was in a different role at the time, and and we've stayed very good friends for until this day. And and um, it takes it you know it takes a bit peeling back the layers to fully understand him. Yeah, I'm trying, Coach Ojeda. I'm try- I feel like again, it's the rough exterior, but then he's actually a teddy bear. Yeah, there's there's part of it. There's part of it. He's 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 very determined individual, um, and there's a very funny side to to Chris. Yeah, when you see him around his wife and kids, he is certainly the teddy bear. He's like, I could just sit there and watch him with his kids. I think he's excellent. Um, and then fortunately, I get to hear some good stories from Jared, so I know I know a little bit of the softer side of him, but. He, the guy's an unbelievable on-court coach. And um, then you get James's energy. The yeah. two of them are an incredible combo. You would have thought they won the doubles point against Baylor with their reactions. Right. Like, they were oh, the yeah. ones who won that. It was 
out of this it was something else yeah <laughs> I, can, I mean honestly like i could sit and watch james practice all day long <laughs> he, he is a yeah. blast yeah he gets he gets just he gets yeah. really pissed no it's a fun group and again i'm gonna have to reserve the right to bring you back on to talk damajan and all things tennessee virginia later jared and obviously yeah. look i could do 2000 hey, we were, yeah that 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 was such as that was a special season for us yeah. i mean on paper that 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 Tennessee team just shouldn't shouldn't go as far as they did do with the things they did and um just a great group that that sees each other you know four or five times a year still and um and we you know the the, the score board wasn't close but we we made that a, we made that a match yeah now I've uh, I've met Ryan Williams I've talked to Ryan Williams I'm still not sure he's a real human like I just I'm not I'm not convinced there's just some things where I'm just like I don't know are you sure it's this one, happened it's it's one of the most interesting stashes out there <laughs> but the man the man can fish and he he could hit a, a large forehand yeah as you say fishing forehands that's his thing yeah. it's agree the yeah. FH combo he's done, he's done a fantastic job with Dom as yeah, well. No, no doubt about that. And so, with that said, final question, serious one: when te- when fans across the nation watch your team compete this season, what do you want their takeaway to be? I would love for them to walk off the court and be like, "Wow, those girls competed hard." Mm-hmm. Win or lose, I, w- I would love it if that was the first thing that they thought about, mm-hmm. and um, that would mean the world to me actually this year. Mm-hmm. Jared, I, yeah, it just just that it would be brutal to try to to try to match us pretty much in terms of competitive spirit um and and just a a passion for the game you, you can you can tell when someone's got it right you know that it's not a forced energy um they're they're hunting balls down they're they're, they're talking to their teammates the it, it's all those things it's just a, they're just extremely passionate mm-hmm. no absolutely yeah. and um again i I reserve the right to bring you both back on because I've gone way over time here and I want to thank Max, obviously your SID who helped set all of this up without whom, you know, all of the SIDs, it's the hidden economy of college athletics. So a huge thank you to all of them, but you heard Max pop in. So thank you to Max. And again, thank you to both of you. I I will say this, uh, coaches have been kind enough to send me gear over the time. And Yeah, what th- sizes are you? Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I'm asked medium. I think large just in case I bulk up and taller than the experts would predict. Uh, if, you, if, you start, if you start uh, failing to get your hour in before yeah, the exactly. is okay. when If the broadcasts pile up this year, I'm going to, well, no, I, 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 this body's 50% Reese. Thus, the Tennessee orange looks good on me, and my brothers immediately commented the gear I got. They were like, older brother took the hat, gone. He's like, this is mine now. Younger brother took the long sleeve. He's like, this is mine now. And they were like, it's Tennessee orange. It's beautiful. And I was like, it really it is, is beautiful. It's perfect with your backdrop right yeah, now, too. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Max, thank you. But let's make sure that Max has your address and uh, we'll get you some... <laughs> We'll get oh. you some gear. Oh, it's very kind. Yeah, I've, I'm going to try and do a different show each year with a different gear on it. So, again, thank you both so much. Thank you, Max, for setting all this up. Good luck to you all this season. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I am sure we will chat more soon. For sure. Thank you for having us. And, and honestly, like, you have really helped college tennis grow a ton. So both of us and I'm sure the entire college tennis community really thank you. Oh, thank you. Those who can't play yeah. talk about playing. So, you know, we do what we That's can. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thank you both so much. Be safe. Be healthy. I'm sure we'll talk more soon. Thank Sounds you, Alex. Yep. Bye. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 